So I want to say good morning again. I want to say good morning to those online. I want to say good morning again to those who are here. I want to tell you that in your handouts, you'll see the title of my sermon is The Harvest. And you'll note that my text this morning really consists of 10 verses. And then someone has asked me, well, what is the outline? There isn't any outline this morning because I am trusting the Lord to take my sermon and weave it through and around the very verses that are my text. So it's the text, it's the verses that will dictate the outline and the flow of this sermon. You know, I always ask that you pray with me as I walk through Psalm 1914, because I I do seek selfishly that the Lord will anoint my words And my words are a reflection of his thoughts, I trust. And so, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So beginning in your text, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it reads this way. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen? You know, Peter is talking to the believers of his day. He says, chosen race, but they were both Jews and Gentiles in the group. He calls them a royal priesthood, but very few of them had actually been Jewish priests. And we don't know of any who were royal. And he refers to them as a holy nation, but that terminology really seems to be language that would be more appropriate and was used for the Jews in the Old Testament. What's Peter saying? Peter is referring to all who by faith belong to the kingdom of God. It's not a kingdom of this world. It's made of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, people who are bonded together not by the color of their skin or by the language that they speak, but by the spirit of Christ who lives in them. It's an eternal kingdom. It's a people whose ethnic identity takes a backseat to their eternal identity that is found in Christ. And as we receive Peter's words, it's a call to be more than Nigerian or Filipino or British or Spanish or American or whatever. We belong to the kingdom of God. It is a Jesus culture, a people of the word, citizens of heaven. Everything is changed. And just as Israel was to be set apart was to be a people that were set apart for God. In other words, a holy nation, a holy people, who were to give testimony to the greatness of their God. We, too, are to shine the light of Christ to the nations. And we are just just passing through this world. And this is not, as you've heard so many times, this is not our real residence. We're no longer citizens of this world. So don't live in the world Utilizing all this passing riches and glorying in them. But we are to live honorable lives that 
this world may see our good deeds and glorify God. That is our testimony. 1 Peter 2.9 again states, We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That is a huge undertaking. Proclaiming the excellencies of God to a dark world. And we are to be his witnesses to the world around us. But the question is, where do we begin? If we are going to impact the world for the kingdom of God, it must eventually arrive at the preaching of the gospel. Because only the gospel possesses the power to transform lives. You know, when we watch TV, we, we watch the news, we, are, we can't help but be overcome by the evil all around us. But the biggest problem is the evil within humanity, the evil within us. And we all desperately need a savior. And salvation is not found in a government or the United Nations or in more education. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And his method of bringing the good news to this hurting world is through us, the church. Only we can be called to be the light of the world. And our world and our country and our city desperately need, needs us because we are to take up the challenge and to preach the gospel. Our text, Romans 10, 13, and 14, says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then? Can they call on the name? Can they call on the one they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? We must share the hope found in Christ. Salvation is prompted by God and he draws people to himself, but there is a role that we must play to share is to set before them the simple facts of the gospel. Listen, this is the gospel. That all mankind has been separated from a holy, righteous, and loving God because of sin. That the wages of sin is death, and because of our sin, we deserve condemnation and eternal separation from God in a place of endless torment, hell. You know, God the Father seeing the desperate need that we had, sent God the Son down from earth, from heaven to earth. And he became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a sinless life, and he was willing to lay down his life for our sake. And he was crucified on a Roman cross. And this act, he paid our sins. He paid the price for our sins. He made it possible so that we could be reconciled to God. And three days later, he was raised from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death. And so all that believe in him, all who surrender to him, will be saved and are reconciled to a right relationship with God. That's the gospel. Amen? And we believe in this gospel. And we believe in the importance of it being shared with those around us. But you know, many of us, we struggle with the idea of speaking about Christ to others. It brings fear and uncertainty to many. But as we look at Scripture, I think we'll begin to see that it may be more natural than many of us suspect. In the Bible, 
You don't see one set way of sharing one's faith. You know, we see numerous examples of how different believers shared their faith. And we even see Jesus himself calling people to faith in a variety of ways. We see Jesus, for example, sharing with the outcast woman at the well. It was a conversation that started over water and ended with her salvation. Another time he spoke with a religious leader late at night and he explained to him that you must be born again. Still another time. Jesus speaks to a rich young ruler requiring that for him to inherit eternal life, he had to sell all that he had and give it to the poor and then come follow Jesus. You know, and that doesn't even include all the small groups and crowds that Jesus spoke to as he came upon his ministry. And we see the same in the life of Paul. He shared one way with the Jews at the synagogue And he shared a totally different way to the philosophers on top Mars Hill in Athens. You see, Paul was well-educated in Judaism. He was also well-read in the ways of the Greeks. Paul was one who reasoned with others on behalf of the gospel. You know, in the same way, many of us today find this their preferred evangelistic style. We We want to debate We want to involve ourselves in apologetics. We want to reason with others. Others relate with Peter. Bold, direct, passionate. This is why he was the most likely one to be selected to share at Pentecost in Jerusalem only weeks after Jesus was crucified and died. And some want to share their own personal testimony More like the blind man that's recorded in John 9. See, this man had been blind since birth, and yet Jesus was able to miraculously give him sight. And the religious leaders, they call the man to come before them because Jesus had the audacity to heal this man on a Sunday. In our text, John 9, 24 and 25, we read this. So the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. You see, to many, this is the preferred way of giving testimony. It's the safest. No one knows your story better than you. And as you tell your first-hand account of what Christ has done and is doing in your life, you can speak with passion and conviction, convinced of what you've seen and of what you've experienced and what you've heard. Of course, still others are like Matthew in Luke 5.29. See, Matthew hosted Jesus at his house and he invited all of his sinful friends. Scripture called it a great feast. It was through hospitality generosity, and friendship that Matthew ushered many into the presence of Christ. And we see two other examples of how to share your faith by two women. The first was the previously mentioned woman at the well that Jesus spoke with. And upon hearing Jesus and believing, she set out to invite others. So in our text, John 4, 29 and 30, and John 4, 39 and 42, it states, verses 29 and 30, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. 
Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and were coming to him. Then verses 39 to 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So the Samaritans came to him. They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. You see, at first, she used her personal experience to invite them to Christ. And once they were there, it wasn't her that presented the gospel. She just invited many, many people towards Jesus where they heard the gospel and they believed. So what can we do? We can invite people to church and there they will hear the word. Now while we need always to be prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have, you know, some are really good at inviting and gathering people for the sake of Christ. Now inviting can be can play a real important role in the process. We can invite people to share prayer with us, prayer requests, invite them to fellowship events, invite them to church, and eventually invite them to put their faith in Christ. Now let's look at another example of Dorcas. In Acts 9.36, we read that she was well known because of her good works and acts of charity. Then she became ill and she died. They sent for Peter. The following verse described what happened next. Our text, Acts 9, 39 to 42. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all aside, put them all outside, and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter sat up, and she gave her, he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive, and it became known through all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Listen, it was through her service to others that God used her death and coming back to life to bring many to faith in Christ. You know, to some... This is the best way to share the light of the Christ. You may not be a person of eloquent words, but your servant's heart speaks loudly about your love for Christ. Because others might question, how can you call this evangelism? All Dorcas did was good works and acts of charity. I think that's a legitimate question. You know, some Christians in churches are Now give all their attention to good works and acts of charity with little or no mention of the gospel. Others preach the gospel loud without any works, good works and acts of charity. So what is more pleasing to God? Which wing is more important to an airplane? Both. Now one way that's Scripture describes evangelism is with the idea of the harvest. And Jesus said these words in our text, Matthew 9, 36 and 38, which states, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Think about that word, harvest, for a moment. In the physical world, it means a person or a tractor going through the field when the crop has borne fruit and is ready to be picked, either for consumption or for market. And to make a a spiritual comparison when talking about evangelism, the harvest would be speaking the gospel to a non-believer, and in response, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the person then is born again, forgiven, made new, welcomed into the family of God. The angels are rejoicing because the harvest has come. Now we often think of the harvest of fruit or a grain as a one-moment-in-time event. But really, it's many small events that make the harvest possible. It is evaluating the soil, preparing the soil, pulling weeds, picking rocks, adding fertilizer, and finally planting that seed. It then is irrigation, protecting from pestilence, giving nature time to make itself manifested until the time comes with the harvest. And a spiritual harvest is much the same. The preparation of the soil is a huge determinant when it comes and even if the harvest will come. You know, we read about this in Jesus' parable of the four soils in Matthew 13, 1 through 8. It's not printed in your handout because I ran into the thought this morning and I added it and uh, added this verse. In that parable, the sower planted seeds in four different soils, but only one soil was prepared for the seed to bring fruit. The first soil was too hard, verse 4, symbolizing that the person who heard the gospel never even understood it. The second seed was thrown on rocky soil, verses 5 and 6. It grew quickly and then died away. That's similar to a person who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and at first gets very excited, cheerfully approaching an altar call. But then... Turbulation comes or persecution comes, difficult times comes, and it causes them to fall away. The third soil, which was sown, verse 7, among the thorns. This is the one who hears the word, is delighted. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Finally, Jesus told of the seed which is planted in good soil, verse 8. This is the one who hears the word, understands it, and receives it. It indeed bears fruit, and it yields a harvest. In this parable, please notice that the preparedness of the soil affects the outcome of the harvest. And that explains why evangelism to strangers who have no personal relationship with us that results in preparation is often not very effective. The majority of time spent in evangelism is not about sharing the spoken gospel. It is the prayer, the attention, and the care that precedes it. We must remember that the harder the soil, the more preparation will be required. I think it's interesting that the sharing of the seed becomes much easier when the soil is prepared. 
And we must always be ready, of course, to speak the reason for our hope that we have in Jesus. But as we look towards the harvest, we have to understand that evangelism is much more than Bible verses and a spiritual debate. Even if we are not great theologians telling someone about what Jesus has done in our lives, it's so much easier if they have become our friends and they've seen the changes in your life that Jesus has made. And suddenly they want it. They want more. And we have to allow God to use us in a unique way as he prepares the hearts of others. And I want you to be encouraged We don't all have to be great philosophers and debaters like the Apostle Paul. We don't all have to be intense and passionate and fearless like the Apostle Peter at Pentecost. And I want you to be encouraged to take hold of the style of evangelism that is most natural to you. You know, we should pray for the lost in much the same way that Jesus prayed for the city of Jerusalem. Maybe you want to host times of hospitality like Matthew. You want to serve others like Dorcas. Invite others like the woman at the well. Tell your testimony like the man who was blind. And we faithfully continue praying and caring with the eye on evangelism. For in time, God will prepare the soil so that at the right time, the spoken word of the gospel will find a ready heart who is ready to repent and to believe. Then and only then will the harvest come. I find it interesting that the Apostle Paul writes a lot more about living like Christ than talking about Christ. And in His day and time when the church was surrounded by such hard soil, the gospel had to be lived out before it could be spoken about. You know, Paul knew, I think, that it took patience, patient preparation of the soil for the seed to bear fruit. But I'm going to warn you that if God is going to use us to prepare the soil, it may take a while. It may take weeks Months or even years. Because of that, it will demand a consistent, authentic Christian life. It's not preaching to strangers who know nothing about how you really live. It's daily living alongside non-believers who will watch your lives and either they'll be moved more towards Jesus or moved away from Jesus by the way you live. And there will be days when our efforts seem pointless, but... We, we must continue to pray and to care for those that we love. Now listen, of all the growth patterns, consider the growth of the Chinese bamboo tree. It's interesting. It's amazing. You plant a bamboo sprout in the ground and for four or five years, maybe more, nothing happens. You water and fertilize, water and fertilize, water and fertilize, but you see no visible evidence that anything is happening. Nothing. But about the fifth year, things change dramatically. In a six-week period, the Chinese bamboo tree grows to a staggering 90 feet tall. You know, in the World Book Encyclopedia, it records that one bamboo sprout can grow three feet in a simple 24-hour period. It seems incredible that a plant that lies dormant for years can suddenly explode with growth. But it happens. 
and it happens without fail with bamboo trees. The same may be true for us as well. It could be that family members, co-workers, friends with whom you have been sharing life take years to finally come to the point that their heart is receptive to the gospel. But until then, we carry on living the gospel, preparing to speak the gospel when the time is right. And as Paul tells us and wrote in our text, Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know, our goal is a combination of our text, (coughs) excuse me, Matthew 5, 16, and our text, 1 Peter 3, 15. Matthew 5, 16 states this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then the other combination, the other half is 1 Peter 3, 15. In your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Well, in closing, I want you to consider this following letter that I may encourage you. It's a letter written by a new Christian to a woman who had guided her and brought her to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I just want to read this to you. Quote, You know, when we met, I began to discover a new vulnerability, a warmth and a lack of pretense that impressed me. I saw in you a thriving spirit, no signs of internal stagnation anywhere. I could tell you were a growing person, and I liked that. I saw you had a strong self-esteem, not based on the fluff of self-help books, but on something a whole lot deeper. I saw that you lived by convictions and priorities, not just by convenience, selfish pleasure, or financial gain. And I had never met anyone like that before. I felt a deep love and concern as you listened to me and didn't judge me. You tried to understand me. You sympathized, and you celebrated with me. You demonstrated kindness and generosity, not just to me, but to other people as well. And you stood for something. You were willing to go against the grain of society and follow what you believed to be true, no matter what people said and no matter how much it cost you. And for those reasons and a whole host of others, I found myself really wanting what you had. Now that I've become a Christian, I wanted to write to tell you I'm grateful beyond words for how you lived out your Christian life in front of me. Amen.